Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Justin. I'm the Next Gen Pastor. I'm so glad you're with us today as we're continuing a series called Win at Home. Anybody in the house want to win at home? Maybe. Like online, you probably want to win at home. You're at home right now. So you're like, yeah, my kids are going crazy. Everything's hitting the fan right now. Here's the reality. We're talking about winning at home because all of us want to do something meaningful, want to do something impactful, want to do something special in a variety of areas in life. But in particular, we want to win at home. Like we wanna do really well, whether you're 17 and you're fixing to go to college. I don't know why I said fixing because I'm not from the South at all. I'm from Connecticut, 860 all the way. And I've been down here a few years now, so y'all can deal with it, right? I don't even know. But, but here's the deal, like you are 17, you're planning to go to college and you're trying to get there and you, like, you wanna get good grades, you wanna get into the school you wanna go to, or you're 27 and you're like, man, I'm trying to get married, I'm trying to have kids, like whatever, so you're, you're later in life and you're like, I'm trying to handle my investments well, my adult children, like no matter where you find yourself in life, like you wanna do something meaningful, you wanna do really well in an area all over the place in your life, but in particular, like at home, like that's really important because those relationships, the people that are closest to us matter the most for us. And, but here's the thing, if you wanna win, it requires something really, really uh, difficult and hard sometimes. It, it, like winning always requires planning. Like you have to plan in order to win. If you've ever been on a team, uh, your coach, well I should say, if you've ever been on a winning team, your coach doesn't show up to the game and like, all right guys, let's just wing it. Like we're just gonna figure this one out, right? Like if you're a musician, you're playing music together, like you're not just like, hey, we're just gonna wing it, right? In church, it's so funny. We're like, well, the Spirit's just gonna lead us. Like that's just code for like, I didn't practice and prepare well, right? And anything we're doing, like you don't show up, you know, our kids ministry here on, in our house, on our campus, like we don't just wing it and just go, oh, we'll just figure it out. Right? Like you and your career, you're not like, well, I'm just gonna wing it. Like you don't wander your way or drift your way into success and you can't drift your way into winning, and this is the reality though, is like, it requires a lot of planning, but it's like the, the philosopher Mike Tyson said, like every, I have a new one every week. Like last year we talked about the theologian Ricky Bobby, this week we got the philosopher Mike Tyson. Like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Now if you've gotten punched in the mouth, you know like it doesn't feel good and it's not part of your plan. So the question we gotta figure out with, with life is not, when or if things don't go according to plan, it's when things don't go according to plan. So how are you gonna win at life when things don't go according to plan? Right, when you're six or seven years into marriage and like things are not so fun anymore and like you've, let's be real life, like you've both gained some weight and you've lost some intimacy and you're like, man, like things are kind of sliding on the side and like it's not fun anymore, I'm not really enjoying this anymore. Like what do you do when your marriage is on the rocks? Like, what do you do when you're like, hey, I'm just trying to get into this school. If I can get into my school, my first choice, and that will help me, because if I go into this school, then I'll get this degree, I'll get this degree, and i get this job, and you don't get into that school. And now you feel like your whole plan's off base, or you're like, man, I'm gonna get married, and we're gonna have kids, and then you can't have kids. 
Hey, this is my trajectory for my career. I'm gonna take this step and then that step and then that step. And then somewhere it goes sideways and you're like, man, I found myself out of a job. Even this last year in particular, a lot of us find ourselves like we're out of a job. Like what do you do? How do you win at home when things, can't, when things go sideways? When things don't go according to plan? Because it, it will happen for all of us. No matter how much you plan. And sometimes it's harder the more that we plan, isn't it? Like you get everything in place and you're like, hey, if we just hit this plan, some of you are married to this person and they drive you crazy. And it's like, man, like, like we're going through, and if we just hit all these check boxes, we plan, like my wife and I, we plan out when we travel, we plan out everything, we plan out our stops, we always stop. This is like a parenting tip for you. Like we're not experienced parents in a great sense, but like parenting tip, like hit up Starbucks, Panera Bread, and Chick-fil-A's. Like that's the way we look when we travel. We go, is there a Chick-fil-A and a Starbucks together? That is the Lord's anointing on the exit. We're gonna pull off there because we can take our kids and this is like, again, previous to when everything was open. Like we throw our kids in the, the playground at Chick-fil-A. They run around with all energy. We order lunch. We order breakfast, whatever. We get our coffee. We get back in the car. We good to go. Like we plan it out. But what happens if the exit is closed? And like we can't get our coffee. Like kids can't run with the energy. Like again, this is the reality. There are gonna be circumstances in your life and in my life that we cannot control. There's gonna be stuff like external and internal. And, and the thing is like, you can't control circumstances, but you can decide if the circumstances will control you. Because there's a lot of us that things happen to us in life that we had no control over. And where we planned and we did everything we were supposed to do and it wasn't good enough because we couldn't control everything. But here's the thing that I wanna encourage you with no matter where you're at, whether you're a student or you're a seasoned parent or you're an empty nester is, is you have the ability to control the thing that determines if you will win or not at home. The greatest thing that you can control is yourself. And if you can work at controlling yourself, you can decide that your circumstances will control you and you can continue to choose to win at home because this is the reality. The people that you see that win a lot are not the people who have it the easiest. Like in any arena in life, in business, in sports, in parenting, in family, the people who win the most are not the people who have it easiest, it's the people that control what they can control. And sometimes we get this, this twisted vision of people where we go, man, like you, your life's just easy and it's great and we don't know the backstory of all the things that they've struggled with and all the things they've gone through and that's just real life. Again, it's not if things don't go according to the plan, it's when things don't go according to the plan. And this is what I love is you look throughout God's account with humanity as we find in the scriptures, like, like these are letters and stories and narratives that people wrote down to teach us how God interacts with people. And as you look at the lives of these people, it's not all like skipping through rainbow fields forever. It's like people go through really difficult things and the people that, that God says, hey, this is the person I'm gonna use in an incredible way generally are people who've gone through incredible pain and things haven't gone according to plan. There's one guy in particular I think about, and you've probably heard of this guy, if nothing else done for his Broadway show, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Like, like Joseph is a story, he's actually lived about 2000 uh, BC in uh, the Middle East, and then he ended up in Egypt, and again, we, we made this story about him that's on Broadway, they're going to all these dancing and singing, if you watch that, it's really dated. Like, I watched some of that this past week, I'm like, man, this looks so old, it's like 2004, it's like it's back in the 90s. And this is, like, I believe this is a true story because, again, you can find, like, evidence of the Hebrew nation living in Egypt. And this is actually a story of how they got there. And, and God is interacting with this guy, Moses, and tells Moses, hey, I want you to write down this story so you have this story to then tell my people about themselves, about their history. Because this is something that's monumental is in order to win at home, you really need to look at, like, your family history. And some of us, like, the reason we're not able to win at home is because we're not dealing with our family history, 
that's a whole different talk for a whole different time. But, but Moses is writing the story about Joseph and this is how he jumps in. And he, he jumps in and he talks about Israel. Now Israel is a nation of people, but, then, but before it was a nation of people, it was a person. And before it was a person, Israel was actually the father formerly known as Jacob. Right, like we see this again, this thing in the culture back then, they changed their names for all different things. So, so this is how Moses recounts it. He says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And I'm not sure if you know how families work, but that's not good, right? Like if anyone got siblings in the house, anyone not the favorite sibling in the house, right? Everybody's like, oh, of course you're not the favorite, right? Like, like this is not, not great, a big recipe for dysfunction. Like don't have favorites, it's always dysfunctional, whether it's in work or home or business, like anywhere you're at. It says, Joseph loved, jo- or Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born in his old age and made him an ornate robe for him. Again, this is his fly robe. This is a technicolor dream coat, right? And this is even, it's, it's not even just a gift. It's much more than a gift. And because he loved him, he gives him this special thing. And then his brothers, which is complete shock, right? Everyone's like, whoa, no way. They saw that their father loved him more and they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Like again, like Israel loves him more than anyone else, really dysfunctional. All the brothers hate him. Again, even it's funny, you talk to people, like if you have a sibling, you have sibling rivalry, you have sibling tension, Right? It doesn't matter how good you are with them, your brother, your sister. Like, there's always just a little bit of a rub of like, well, mom gave you that or dad gave you that. And with this whole story, the, the problem is Israel or Jacob was playing favorites because he actually, it's not just that Joseph was born in his old age, it's that he was born to his favorite wife, which is, again is a big problem. Like if you got more than one wife, that's just not a recipe for winning at home. Like it's it, it never, I'd say like, I've never, I don't have the experience of this. Like I, I try to stay away from multiple wives, but like I never see it working out well in the Bible. And Joseph is born of Rachel, who's his favorite wife. And Joseph actually, he's like 11th in this line of, of 12 brothers and one sister, right? There's 13 of them, I mean, he's 11. So he's way down the line. And what this is, is when he gives him his robe, when he gives him his gift, it's more than a present, it's actually a status. Because in this time, like, like family birth order was incredibly important. Like if you were the oldest, like you got most of everything, you got a bigger inheritance, you got all this responsibility, all this leadership, you got all this stuff, you're first. So basically what Jacob slash Israel is doing is he's saying, okay, all of you don't even matter. I'm gonna pick this one way down at the end. He's the firstborn of my favorite wife, so I'm gonna make him the firstborn in the family. Just making all the brothers that are older than him really angry. And this robe that he gives him, like you read scholars, they talk about this. It's like, it's, again, it's not just like this nice jacket. Like I think it's like a, like a full length, like scholars would say it's full length down the ankles and down to his sleeves. I think it's like bedazzled, right? Like his mom, Rachel, got out the bat, bedazzler and she's just like, boop, boop, make it all nice. Like it has a nice big eagle in the back. It has like, it's like awesome. Like you know that he's popping the collar on this. And it's not just a gift, it's a status of royalty in the family. And this is not a working man's garment. So even as you read through the story, I'm gonna tell you, like, you gotta read the Bible for yourself. If nothing more, like if you're like sibling the rivalry, like read this, you and your siblings will seem like angels compared to these people. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. One thing, one of my favorite things is a story, this is real quick, it's a total side note, real quick, his story is his older brothers go and they get this entire city, they're really angry because there's like horrible stuff happened. I'm not gonna give it all away because it'll spoil it and you won't read it for yourself, but you should read it. They go and they get this entire city to circumcise themselves and then they go in and kill everybody in the city while the guys are all in pain. Like messed up stuff happens in the Bible. And even like for you, like you're like, man, like, yeah, that's why I don't read the Bible. That's why I don't believe any of it. That's why it's crazy. You are all crazy for taking it. It's so old, it's inaccurate. Like, this is what I'd say with all that stuff is 
it, it all hinges on one person and that's Jesus. And we uphold this part of the Bible because we believe that Jesus upheld his promise to come back to life three days after he died. I think there's a lot of evidence that that actually happened. So if he upholds this, like he upholded that promise, I think we can look to him and go, okay, we can learn something from this. But so Joseph with his brothers, he's like the royal guy in the family. He's overseeing, so he, like J- Jacob, Israel's taking him in and teaching him how to lead everything, all this stuff. And then he sends his, his other brothers off. He sends his other sons, hey, go out and, and tend to the sheep in the field. Like, it's really bad manual labor, like you don't wanna do it. And then he sends Joseph to go inspect them, which again, like how great is that? Like you don't wanna answer to your sibling. And there's this story where he goes and he, he, he tells him, hey, go and go find your brothers. And this is the way that Moses writes. He said that Joseph goes out after his brothers and found them near Dothan and they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. I'm gonna tell you, this is not the first time this thought crossed these guys' minds. It wasn't like, what should we do today? I don't know, let's feed the sheep a little bit. Wait, what's that over there? Oh, it's bedazzled, that's Joseph. Hey guys, what should we do with Joseph? I don't know, what do you wanna do? I don't know, let's kill him. Okay, that sounds great. Never thought that before. This is something where the circumstances in their lives where their brother got picked as a favorite, they allowed to control them and they allowed to breed hate in their lives. And they couldn't control that, but they could control what's in them. So they take him and they're gonna kill him and they're like, no, let's not kill him. Let's actually throw him in this pit. So they throw him in the pit and then one of the brothers, Reuben, is like, oh, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna save him. I'm gonna rescue him and pull him out. But he didn't have time because as he's in the pit, they're sitting there hanging out and then they see this, this caravan going. They go, hey, if he dies in the pit, he's literally worth nothing to us. But if we sell him as a slave then we can get some money, we can go maybe to Starbucks or Jimmy John's and get some lunch later. So they take him out, they sell him for 20 pieces of silver, which again is like two pieces of silver per person. That's like $2 a person. So you can't even go to Starbucks or Jimmy John's. You gotta go to McDonald's. And they sell him, he goes off into slavery and they take his jacket, they kill an animal, they put the blood on it and they bring it back to their dad. Like so like, like ridiculously innocent. Like, hey dad, is this, is this Joseph's robe? Like, you know that one that you gave him that we all hated him for, that we saw him wear every day that he strutted around like a peacock all the time? Like, I don't know, is this what, this is what looks like that. And his father is horribly upset and tears his clothes and it's incredibly sad. And Joseph now has a situation that's worse than death. He's sold into slavery and goes out to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he gets purchased by a guy named Potiphar, who's a high-ranking official, to come in and to work in his house. And this thing is crazy. As Moses is writing this account of Joseph's life, he writes this phrase several times. And I think it's, again, it's so crazy because everything is going sideways. Everything is not going according to plan for Joseph at all. But this is what Moses writes in Genesis 39. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now this goes against so much of what we believe about God. This goes against so much because we think in order for God to be with, with us, he needs to be blessing us the way that we deem things as blessings. Like he needs to make my bank account bigger. He needs to make my car nicer. He needs to make my house larger and newer. Like for God to be blessing me, for God to be with me, I need to see it up in the here and now. And Moses is right and saying, no, God was with Joseph in the house of Potiphar. And Joseph actually goes and he starts working and managing things just like he managed his father's house and begins crushing it. And this is the reality for, for so many of us. Like, again, we think that God's blessings will always look like blessings, but the reality is most of the time, God's blessings first look like burdens. And it's difficult. And there's pain. And there's discomfort. But can I tell you, if you are trying to grow, like, comfort is not always your friend. 
Like you think about it, if you're if you go to the gym, right? I go to the gym and I see these these like high school guys. I'm like I'm all about high school guys. Like they're awesome, but like it's always fun. I see like a group of high school guys and a group of high school girls, and like they're not really working out as much as they're checking out. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they're looking at them and they're like doing a little bit and they're like always like constantly like rubbing the muscle that they just worked out. Like, bro, you did not even lift that much weight. Like they're looking in the mirrors, constantly flexing. Like, dude, you did three reps with 15 pounds. There's no difference. You don't even got a pump right now. And they're not even breaking a sweat. And here's the reality. If you go, if you're like that, you go to the gym, like your heart rate's not getting up. You're not trying, you're not sore at all, right? If you work at the gym, like there's a good soreness. Again, you're not injured, but like, man, I pushed it, right? Like a little bit of pain, right? No pain, no gain, if you're showing up to the gym and you're comfortable the whole time and you're, you're in the gym, can I tell you, like, it's kind of worthless, right? Like, there's no benefit. Let me take it one step further for Jesus followers. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're so welcome here. We're so glad you're here. Like, we designed this place for you. And you get a free pass on this next part, okay? You get a free pass on the whole thing, honestly. Because if you don't sign up to follow Jesus, like, you can do whatever you want with whatever I say. But if you're following Jesus... Like if you're comfortable the whole time you're in the church and you never step out and you never push yourself a little bit and you never get uncomfortable and you never serve somebody else, you never show love to somebody else, you never give money financially, can I just say like, like what benefit is your faith to you if you're never uncomfortable? And for some of us, like we've been coming to a place where we show up and we listen and we drop our kids off and CC kids and they have a great time. They have the most fun they'll ever have in church and they're like learning about Jesus and it's great. And we come and we sing songs and it's awesome. Wow, that really moved me emotionally. And then we sit down and they talked and that was good enough. He made me laugh a little bit. He said something that made me think. Then you leave and your life never changes. Can I say, it's kind of like going to the gym and sitting there and never being uncomfortable. It's kind of wasting your time. And here's the reality, I I don't want you to waste your time. I don't want you to waste your life. And God is saying, he doesn't want you to waste your life either. So that's why he's pushing and saying, hey, go and do something. That's why Brian even talked about like serving for Easter. A lot of you, it's a really easy, really easy opportunity. Sign up and serve somewhere. You're like, I'm not ready. I don't have, like, you know, you don't have to have it all together. But it's coming, you can serve one weekend and be done. I was talking to people even this morning, I'm like, hey, you gotta serve with kids or you gotta serve with the first impressions team or you gotta serve with the E team, like wherever, just, just get active and do something because it will be good for you because the reality is comfort is not your friend if you wanna win at home. And, and for so many of us, like we have to understand, to win at home, we need to be uncomfortable regularly. So back to the story though, Joseph is crushing it in Potiphar's house. Like he's doing all this stuff and, and Potiphar goes and he loves Joseph so much. He's like, dude, you're so, doing so good. He puts everything he had into his care. And with Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. It's the only thing he worried about. And I said, this is so funny. I feel like stuff like this again, you write that like Moses is writing this. I feel like Moses is like, wait, hold up. You sure you want me to write that? This feels weird. So now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, hey, Jojo, you looking good, sugar. Come here. And she comes and she says, hey, come back. She's way more offensive, way more orthodox. She says, hey, come to bed with me. He's like, no, I can't. Like, come to bed with me. No, I can't. Come to bed with me. No, he's like resisting her and pushing her. He's like, hey, everything I have that I can do except like this, like I can't do this. Like it would be something horrible. And then he goes and he fights her on this. He says, but he refuses. And then he finally says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who does it say? Not Potiphar, not my master, God. And Joseph, throughout his entire story, he has a proper view of himself in relation to God. He understands, 
he's not God. He understands that God is at work in things that he couldn't explain, but he needs to be faithful in where he's at. And he needs to keep walking forward right where he's at. But, but what happens is Potiphar's wife lies about him and says, actually, he came and he tried to force himself on me. So Potiphar takes Joseph and throws him in jail and it's horrible. And Joseph ends up in jail. But this is again, where, where Moses is writing this account of Joseph's life to give to the next generation of people. And this is what Moses said. Again, this line shows up, which is crazy. It says, but while Joseph, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. Again, it seems completely backwards in their context. It seems completely backwards in our context. We're like, wait, Moses, things are getting worse for Joseph. How is God still with him? It says that he gave, this is talking about God, he showed him kindness and granted favor in the eyes of the prison warden. This was kindness to get through the situation, not kindness to get out of the situation. It's because while he's in the jail, Pharaoh has some servants who displease him, so he sends them to the prison too, so they're in the prison with him, and they have these crazy dreams, which as you read the account of, of Joseph's life, like dreams are a reoccurring thing with him. He's like, you guys have some dreams? And by this point, he's like overseeing the whole prison. Because you guys have some dreams, tell me your dream, and I'll tell you, you see, I can figure out what it means. They tell him his dreams, and he interprets the dreams for them, and, and for them, it wasn't just like weird dreams that they had, it was like, these are like divine, like these are meaningful dreams, Right? And he tells him, and the, it comes true. And he's like, hey, remember me when you go back to in the service of Pharaoh, remember me, okay? Because I'm here and like I was wrongfully accused and like there's injustice and like I need to, to plead my case with Pharaoh. And the guy's like, yeah, I got you totally, dude. Like we're like C block for life, we're homies. And then they ends up, a couple years go by, he completely forgets about Joseph until Pharaoh wakes up one day from a dream and is like really troubled. And trying to figure out what his dream means, he's going around asking everybody. And finally, this guy's like, oh, like, remember when I was in jail? Remember that thing I told you about on my resume when you hired me back? Like, there's this guy, Joseph, there. And he actually can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh calls Joseph. And this is what Pharaoh says to Joseph. He says, I had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And again, this is where we see Joseph has a proper view of himself and a proper view of God throughout the entire time. He says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. See, as talented and as successful as Joseph was, again, like you go back to his house, like he's the royal heir to his father's estate, like and he was extremely wealthy, like he's the man, and then he gets that ripped from him and gets put in Potiphar's house, and he begins taking and doing the same thing, and it just happens, like, man, like I'm just responsible, and I'm a leader, and I'm doing stuff, and he goes, and he transformed Potiphar's house, and he's running everything in Potiphar's house, and then he gets ripped from that situation, and goes to the prison, and he's, again, becomes responsible, and takes on authority, and, and, and leads the whole prison, all this stuff, like all this time Joseph's doing stuff, but he knows it's not about his success and his talent because he's a proper view of himself in relation to God. And he actually listens to the dream from Pharaoh. He interprets it for him. He's like, hey, a famine's coming and this is what we should do. And, and Joseph's like the type A, the executive on the Myers-Briggs, the whatever number you want with the Enneagram, right? He's like, this is the plan. And he lays out this plan for Pharaoh. Hey, this is what we need to do. And Pharaoh's like, we really need someone to run the plan. I think you need to run the plan. And Joseph's like, all right. So Joseph just begins executing because that's just who he is. Again, he didn't let his circumstances determine and control him. He decided like, I'm gonna control myself and do what I can do. He begins running this plan and things are going really well for him. And he's gonna get more influence and more authority. He becomes number two in all the kingdom. Which again, if you go back to like ancient Egyptian 
archaeology, like they will say like there was somebody around this time that was not an Egyptian that was an extremely high-ranking official. Like there's no like headstone that's like Joseph is buried here. But there's all these artifacts and all these things pointing to like this is just a really strange thing to have someone that's not Egyptian be this influential in the nation. And Joseph is, is handling, distributing food and everything. The famine goes all over the area. And then one day he sees these 10 guys all come in. And he looks completely different now because this has been years. But he recognizes 10 of his 11 brothers. Like, can you imagine the feeling you have in that moment? Of like, you guys threw me into a pit. Like, I'm just following dad's instructions. Like, I didn't pick to be the favorite. I didn't pick to get this nice gift. I didn't pick the status. Like, I'm just doing what dad told me to do and you guys hated me for it. But can you also imagine the, the temptation for Joseph to think, finally, I get my payback. Like, finally, like, I've been waiting years. I thought they would be dead. And like, like the power Joseph has in this moment where he's like, hey, I could just turn you away without food and literally force you to starve to death. Or I could kill you or I could imprison you. And Joseph doesn't tell them who he is. He kind of acts incognito and he kind of seems like a little bit rude to them, but then he's like really trying to manipulate the situation to get his younger brother who, all these other dudes are his half brothers and get his one full brother, Benjamin, with him so he can see. And like he's asking questions about the family and all these things. And and what we see even through this is, is Joseph, instead of choosing revenge and punishment, he chose grace and mercy. And here's the reality, like, like grace and mercy is way better because whatever you're hoping to give to somebody else, you have to first hold within yourself. This is the way, Bert Ghazi said this, what I think is so important. Again, think of the, the difference of grace and mercy or revenge. He said, resentment is like a poison that we carry around inside of us with the hope that when we get a chance, we can deposit it where it will harm another who's injured us. The fact is that we carry this poison at extreme risk to ourselves. Again, whatever you want to give to somebody else, you first deposit in yourself. So for Joseph to be going through life, if he's holding on to resentment and bitterness and looking for revenge, because they owe me, because they've wronged me, because I had a plan and they totally took it off the rails and it totally went sideways on me. And like, I have been in prison, I've been in slavery, I've been doing all these things. Like, yeah, you look at me now, I seem like I'm a success, but like, you don't know the pain that it took me to get to this point. But instead of harboring all these negative things, it was grace and mercy. And he extends it to them freely. And then finally through this story, he, he makes himself known to his brothers. And he goes immediately, he starts asking, he tells them, hey, I'm Joseph. And he's like, hey, his dad's still alive. Like, imagine this. Like, you've been gone from your family for years. You see your brothers and you don't even know if your dad's alive. But his brothers were so terrified, they weren't even able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. And then he tells them, I think this is so funny, he tells them, hey, like, don't be distressed and don't be angry at yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that who sent me ahead of you? That God. Again, we see this this reoccurring theme of Joseph has a proper understanding of, of who he is and who God is. And throughout all of his story, all the pain he went through, all the dysfunction that he had with his family, all the difficult nights he had, all the beatings that he incurred, all, like all of this stuff, he had this view that he wasn't God. That he wasn't the center to everything happening to him. 
Now, this is like an incredibly difficult reality for us to accept, and, and I don't know why it is this way. I wish it wasn't this way, but the reality is that, that pain is not an obstacle for us fulfilling our purpose in life. Like more often than not, pain is, is the pathway for you to discover your purpose. Again, a lot of times we think pain is, is this obstacle, like, hey, if it's difficult, and again, put this into your context, in your marriage, like, man, it's difficult and there's pain here. Like, I don't wanna keep pushing through, I wanna just bounce and get out because I feel like that would be so much better, my life would be so much happier, and all, like, the reality is, like, like the people who have some of the best marriages that I know are not people who had the easiest marriage. There are people who had incredibly hard marriages but decided, hey, when marriage gets hard, we will work harder. And people who have great relationships with their kids are not the people that had the easiest time with their kids where everything just went according to the plan. They were just an angel from the time they came out the womb until they left for college. It was just great. No, it's the people that say, hey, we had a plan and when things went sideways, we used the difficulty to bring our family closer together and we worked things out. Again, pain's not an obstacle for your growth and pain's not an obstacle for you discovering your purpose. It's a pathway. And then Joseph and his brothers, it's, it's kind of funny, it's like this happy ending, like the family comes together, all together, and everyone's celebrating, like Joseph, like imagine this again, like Joseph has his kids and his dad, who he assumed was dead, and goes, hey, like guys, like this is grandpa. Like dad, like these are your kids, like can you imagine the joy in his heart, and it's like this all, this happy situation, they get this really nice area in Egypt all to themselves, and like, man, this is so awesome, and then his dad gets to bless all these different people as he's dying, which again is a very customary thing at the time. And he blesses Joseph's sons and then he dies and Joseph's brothers come up to him because they're really worried. See, Joseph was free from what they did to him, but they were not free from what they did to him. Like he took on what they did and he processed it and he moved past it. He could offer forgiveness and grace and mercy, but they were so ridden with guilt and shame. They continued to hide from things. And they go and they lie to Joseph, basically saying, hey, dad said you have to be nice to us. And Joseph has this moment, this line is like, like drop the mic, like hallelujah chorus. Like it's like, he just said, it's so incredible. Like, hey, dad said be nice to us. And he just says, like, what are you so afraid of? Am I in the place of God? Like, am I the ultimate judge? Am I the ultimate one to decide your fate? Like, again, and he even goes on and says, you meant it for evil. Like, I know your intent. It was evil, but God meant it for good. And you see this theme throughout his entire life that I hope we can have in our lives is that we are not God. And it's so easy and so sneaky for us to move in the place of God, especially when we're experiencing pain and hurt. Because you hurt me, and now I'm gonna step into God's place and say that I know what you deserve as retaliation for hurting me. Or things go sideways and things aren't going according to plan and I step and go, well, I can justify this now and I deserve this and I earn this because this was my plan and that plan didn't work out and you didn't hold up your end of the marriage so now because you didn't do that, I'll justify what I do over here. And my hope for all of us is even as we're, we're trying to win at home, we're trying to focus on how our lives can be a blessing to people around us is that we would understand like, we are not in the place of God, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe about God. And Joseph was free from his past. And I think that's like the key for all of us to win at home. It's just a reality for, for us to win at home. It, it means that you need to free yourself from the pain of your past. Like all of us have it because when plans don't happen, when things go sideways, there are unmet expectations. And when there are unmet expectations, there generally is pain associated with that. 
And this is what I wanna do. I wanna help you think through this, help you process through this because I know for so many of us, we have, like, we have serious pain in our lives. Like whether you recognize it or not. That's the funny thing is as you get into counseling and you get into like we've gone like intensive counseling, I do like the regular maintenance counseling stuff. Like, like it's funny, like, like not in like a bad way, but in a really healthy way, they dig down a little bit and they go, hey, like let's talk about this pain a little bit more. Let's talk about that person a little bit more. And on the onset, you're like, no, like they're totally fine. And then they push a little bit and then you start crying. You're like, what's wrong with me? Just like a good doctor will push a little bit to be able to figure out what's wrong and to help you heal. I think you need to be pushed a little bit emotionally to figure out what's wrong so you can heal from that. Because as we walk around with resentment and bitterness and anger, like for real, let's talk about anger because like they hurt you and you know what it is right now. And they took something from you. They robbed you from something. They, they didn't help you when they're supposed to help you. Like whatever it might be in your life, like they took something from you and they deserve some repayment and you're absolutely right, but you're not the one to issue that repayment because you never can. And they can never really pay you back either. Even if you get even with them, you're still gonna feel like, man, I feel like, like they said sorry, but they didn't mean it. This is where you gotta work on you because again, that is the number one thing determining if you will win at home or not is you. So how can we do that? Here's three simple things that you can do. You gotta write it out. You're going to talk and think about specifically name the person, name the offense, name the feeling. And like, you gotta be really specific. You name the person, name the offense, name the feeling. They say, my dad, and he did this, and it made me feel that way. And this is the thing too, don't minimize anything. Well, they didn't really mean it. Hey, it doesn't really matter what they meant. You received it a certain way and you feel a certain way from it and you are carrying something that is toxic to yourself. Name the person, Name the offense, name the feeling. I can tell you, this can be incredibly painful because you're going to relive some traumatic things in your life. But I can tell you, like from experience, this is incredibly healing. So first you gotta, you gotta write it down. Next, you gotta give it up. Where you go, and again, if you're a Jesus follower, I'd encourage you to pray about this. So you write down, you have your sheet of paper, you go, hey, this is the person, this is the offense, this is the feeling, and then you go and you go down the list person by person, offense by offense, and you pray something like this. It doesn't have to be these exact words. You pray something like this. And if you're like, well, I'm not a Jesus follower, like you don't have to pray. You can say something to some God figure, some divine whatever, but I would also say like, like what's it gonna hurt you to pray to Jesus, even if you don't believe in Jesus? Like worst things that happens is that he hears you, which I think is okay. You pray something like this, say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Again, for me to deposit something or to give something to someone, I have to have it first deposited in my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Through your power, I will forgive the specific person for the specific offense. And I'm gonna cancel the debt that they owe me. Knowing that you will release me as well. Thank you for canceling my debt. It giving me strength to walk in forgiveness. Again, this is where this can be incredibly painful, but incredibly healing. And the last thing you do, you first you write it down, next you give it up. Last thing you do is you burn it up. And you destroy this. Again, writing down a list of offenses that people don't like, that can be incredibly dysfunctional and unhealthy. And this is where you gotta finish the process and you go, you write about your first husband. 
I tell you, man, we have, whenever this happens, like we have incredible stories of people. I mean, I found so much life and freedom in surrendering these things. There's a woman, there's a few years ago, she did this. And when we say destroy it, like we mean destroy it, like light it on fire, blow it up, turn it into whatever you want, rip into a million pieces, shred it, whatever you, like however you want to destroy it is a symbol of this will no longer have space in my life. There's a woman several years ago who said, I was writing about my ex-husband and literally was filling sheets of paper with this. Because this is how the people that are closest to us can hurt us the most. And they can be the hardest to forgive. She's writing these sheets out and she said, I, I put it in my, my stove and I light it on fire. And she said, literally, it felt like there was a literal weight that lifted up off of me. And if you've ever done something like this, you know there is so much power in this. But again, the reality is, is, is you have the control over this. You don't have to do it. But I would encourage you just give it a try. Especially if you're skeptical of faith. You're like, this seems really ethereal. This seems really spiritual. Like, like just, just give it a try. Like maybe you realize there's some hurts that you have and that you can work through. And this is what I know though, is, is that God will use the pain in your life to help you discover your purpose. And that's what I want for you. And that's what God wants for you because God wants us to be able to go out and love everybody. And it takes everybody to love everybody. And we need you. And God wants to use you, but we gotta handle the forgiveness first and then we can give it out. All over the house, would you stand? We're gonna pray as we close the service today. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for giving us forgiveness. God, thank you for working in us. Thank you for showing us the example of Joseph. God, where he didn't have things go his way. God, he couldn't control stuff. God, he continued focusing on his position, God, him in relation to you. And I pray that we could do the same thing. God, that we would be a people known for our love and our forgiveness. And God, that the pain that we have felt, God, the hurts that we have had, God, we'd be able to, to hand those over to you. God, I pray for people. I got people on our digital campus, got people here in Valrico, people listening to the podcast later, God, that they would find freedom in you. God, they'd be able to process the pain that they've encountered in life. God, they could even use that as they work through that. They could use that in a, in a crazy way. God, to show love to people. God, we love you and we thank you for everything you're gonna do in our lives. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.